great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. Watling and Owen show here on a football Thursday. I gotta say that, you know, we only did it one time, but football Friday did have a, a nice little ring to it, but we'll stick to, to football Thursdays for now. We've got a big show ahead. Of course, the Jets win, the winless Jets looking to get back Sam Darnold this weekend for their matchup against the Bills who are on a two game losing streak. The Giants and the Eagles going at it uh, on Thursday night football. Of course, that game will be later on tonight. Our weekly picks coming up as well. And also a former, I guess, I guess you could call him a former Mets pitcher, calls out the New York Yankees. And as I welcome in Matt Watling to the show, and like I said, Matt, I kind of miss the, the the alliteration that comes with Football Friday. Football Friday is nice, but also the, the idea of having shows back-to-back nights, that's important to me. You know, I want to see that turnover, that quick, see how agile we are as a, as a show. It's, it's very important. And... See, I, I, I really wish the Bills won their last game because I'm falling into the Jets trap here. I, like, do we think they're 0-16? Like, is that is that a definite? I don't know if it's a definite, uh, but I think it's going to be – honestly, like, I don't think the Jets are going to win this weekend, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. I mean, the way the Bills have been playing lately hasn't been great, but Josh Allen usually does play well against bad teams, which, I mean, say what you want, he should show up this weekend. But, I mean, that Bills defense has been bad. And, and the Jets don't really have weapons on offense, to say. I think but they're getting they look, Mims back this week. Hopefully they can get Mims back. But they have uh, Perriman and Crowder both uh, listed as questionable. They haven't been able to run a full practice. But the good news for the Jets, as we segue into them, is that Sam Donald has practiced. He practiced yesterday. Uh, he's also practicing today. He's taking reps with the first team. So it looks like he might be a go for Sunday. And, That'd be, you know, that'd be good for the Jets to get Darnold back. And I think this is a game where Darnold, if he can get a few receivers back, he could look good against a Bills secondary that's been pretty uh, pretty weak so far this year. And, and that's why I bring up a, a game that the, the Jets could possibly win. It's the fact that you're getting Sam Darnold back. That's probably some excitement. You're getting Denzel Mims back. That's some excitement. But then you lose uh, McClendon. Or, was McClendon a couple uh, earlier in the week? Yeah, that was this week. To trade. Right you after lose the game, him, actually. Right after, yeah, right after the game. And that's a tough loss where you lose that leadership and maybe guys aren't practicing as hard because you don't have someone there to hold you accountable. But one thing to me that's really interesting on the Bills front is they haven't blown anybody out of the water. So, you know, you talk about a, a minus 13 line. The, their biggest margin of victory is 10 against the Jets. And that that's interesting because we've seen a lot of really good teams, be it the, the Titans, be it the Chiefs, the Ravens even. I mean, they're blowing teams out of the water left and right, and the, the Bills just haven't done that either, which is, is kind of interesting. Yeah, actually, the only team in the AFC East with a positive point differential is the Dolphins, which is kind of an interesting number. And from Rich Samini, 
yesterday. He said Denzel Mims is progressing well and is poised to make his NFL debut Sunday, meaning this could be the first game the Jets' starting receivers will be together. It would be him, Crowder, and Perriman, if Crowder and Perriman are able to play. But I'm really excited to watch Denzel Mims. I mean, I was excited when the Jets drafted him. We knew they needed a receiver. Uh, I, I liked watching him in college at Baylor. I think he's very explosive. He's obviously has a few things to work out in terms of route running, and maybe the hands have been questionable at times. But to get you know a young guy in what could be a nice connection with Sam Donald could be a good sign for the future. So if Denzel Mims is able to go, I, I like that extra layer to the Jets' offense. That'll definitely be important. And I think there's just an excitement of watching young players that I think this will give Jets fans juice or something to look forward to in this game because – you know, personal, I want to see what he can do. He was a guy that was drafted as a top six, top seven wide receiver in the draft class. A pretty solid piece, but he's not like the Jerry Judys or the C.D. Lambs or, or guys like that. So, you know, I really wonder how he, he works. And that's an important pick for, for Joe Douglas because he traded back a couple times, saw Chase Claypool go to Pittsburgh, saw a bunch of other really top, like really solid tight end or wide receivers go in that second round before he got to Denzel Mims. You know, this – this has to be a pick that hits. You got Makai Becton. He's been locked down. That's an important pick because you consider some other guys. I mean, Andrew Thomas, the, the first guy off the board, hasn't looked that great. And you want to make sure that your guy in Denzel Mims hits because you had the opportunity to draft other guys. And looking at, speaking of picks, and the Jets are going to be super young, and that could be good. They could kind of get some young talent in, in the years coming because yesterday uh, the Jets traded outside linebacker Jordan Willis to the 49ers. Uh, he only played 42 snaps this season. You know, he's kind of a veteran guy. The Jets weren't really using him. They acquired a sixth-round pick for him, and they sent away Willis and a seventh-round pick to the 49ers. But looking at the, the Jets' next few draft classes, in 2020, they have nine picks. 2021, they have nine. 2022, they have nine. And 13 of those 27 picks are in the first three rounds. So we're going to find out really soon what kind of GM Joe Douglas is because he's going to have a lot of draft capital to go off of these next three years. And even adding on to that, you never know if they're either A, going to trade Sam Donald or B, going to trade uh, the package that would be Trevor Lawrence uh, away for some draft picks. So, they, I mean, as much as this season has looked pretty pretty bad for the Jets, the future could be bright if Joe Douglas and company are able to draft well. Wait, did you say it was 13 picks over the next four years in the first three rounds? Yeah, 13 picks over the next three years. So that in the first, I thought they rounds. got more. I thought they got a second from Seattle too, maybe not or a third. According to Rich, I mean, it's thirteen of twenty-seven picks are in the first. That's three really, rounds. that's not that incredible. Like I know it's it's impressive, but it's really just one extra pick. And for a team that's been this bad, and I guess you just had no talent to trade off, you would have liked to see a, a bit more. But obviously, like you said, Luke, that'll that'll come with presumably trading the Trevor Lawrence pick or trading Sam Donald, which might net you a second-round pick at this point. You know, I think this is an important week for Sam Donald in the sense that. You want to show your worth, whether you're being traded or not. You want to show your value, and the Jets want to because now you can try to get him to bump up to be a first first round pick caliber player. Because I still think he has that capability. And you look at some of the teams that you're playing. You've got a guy. You've got Buffalo's defense is mediocre. The Chiefs' defense hasn't been incredible, but you can't really put up points against them. It's gonna be pretty difficult. Same with the Patriots. You know, the Chargers defense is, is pretty good. Miami, you, you should be able to put points against them. You didn't last week, obviously, but you should. Oh, my God. This schedule is really tough. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Yeah, the realization. That's, that's brutal. the 16 realization. I yeah, mean. yeah. They're, they're going on 16. I mean, it's, it's Buffalo. It's Kansas City. It's the Patriots. It's the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Rams. 
I mean, the only bad team on this list is the Browns, and they're four and two. I mean, I guess yeah. Miami, but Miami just pumped you. It's going to be tough sledding for the Jets, and I want to go back quickly to uh, Sam Darnold and the possibility of him being traded. Uh, David Carr was on NFL Network talking about a potential Sam Darnold trade, and he listed the Patriots, the 49ers, uh, Washington, and the Vikings as four potential landing spots for Sam Darnold. He believes they could land a, a day-two pick, whether it be a second round, a third rounder, somewhere kind of in that range. I think... I mean, I don't see the Jets moving him to the Patriots because I think if Sam Darnold went to the Patriots, he would 100% figure it out. He would 100% figure it out and be the franchise quarterback for the Patriots. It'd be almost, it'd be very disrespectful if they shipped him off to Washington for for a, one of those picks. And I don't know if any of these destinations are true or really going to happen because I don't really know if Minnesota is going to trade off more draft capital when they've already screwed up this entire season to get Sam Darnold when they could just draft a young quarterback next year, but. Some interesting possibilities from David Carr. Yeah, I mean, how 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 sexy of a play would this be if you get him to go to San Francisco, a Cali boy in California, the hair, the surfer, the the Niners? That's like that would be a fun fun spot for him to go. That's a good team that I think he could do pretty well in. I mean, that's a great offense too with Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Well, what I would do for Kyle Shanahan to be the Jets head coach is. Absurd, or not even just me, just Jets fans in general. I mean, that that to me, that's the biggest start of this offseason is I don't care what you do at any position except the coaching spot because, to me, Adam Gase has proven that he cannot coach for the life of him. And it, it's so apparent, and I hate bringing it up a time and time again, but it, it's it's important to note, like, you have a guy that could single-handedly tank Sam Darnold's career. He nearly tanked Ryan Tannehill's career. I mean, how many quarterbacks does he get? How many quarterbacks did he get to ruin? Yeah, that, that's the real question. Is I mean, we've seen what Ryan Tannehill has done that, since he left the Dolphins, and I think Sam Darnold could follow a very similar path. I mean, he's very, he's comparable to, to Ryan Tannehill in a few ways. I mean, he's more athletic than you'd think. Maybe not quite to the level of Ryan Tannehill, but he can get outside the pocket. He can make plays. Uh, but I mean, for this week in general, though, I do, I do think this is a big game for Darnold. I mean. I think it's a winnable game in some capacity. I mean, the problem is the Jets' defense would have to be locked down. And they had some issues in week one, but those were early on. They loved 21 points early into the second quarter. But after that, they shut down only six points allowed. The offense just couldn't keep pace. And I think a lot of that with the Jets has to do with that lack of a running game. And it was only week one, but uh, Gase came out and threw the ball, I think, like eight of the first ten plays. They didn't give Lev Bell the ball. Now he's gone, so it's going to be, you know, whether it be P. Ryan or – Frank Gore or maybe Ty Johnson, someone needs to get it going in the run game because, I mean, the Chiefs' offensive line was banged up and they haven't been great this year, and yet they were able to run the ball all over the place. And I'm not saying that the Jets have a, a Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the, on the roster, but you have to establish the run to give Sam Darnold the confidence to make these plays because you can't have him coming back his first game after that shoulder injury having to throw the ball, you know, 40 times a game. You can't have that. You have to establish a run this week. From what I've heard, I, I think his he never really had an issue with his with his shoulder in terms of being able to play, or, or rather the pain management. So I'm just curious to see if he does throw it a lot. And it, it's just so tough when you don't have a real run game. I mean, I don't want to see Frank Gore run the ball 20 times, 25 times. Like that that shouldn't be his role in this team because again, you're gonna hurt Frank Gore the amount of times you're running. You know, he's a guy that's wanted that continues to play year and year again because. You look at the Bills, they didn't run him into the ground. It was a it was a committee running style. And to have Frank Gore take more than 40% of your of your rushes to me is ridiculous. It it, it doesn't make any sense. But 
I feel like this game to me is a lot more important for Sam Donald than it is for any for any other team or any other aspect of the game. You know, maybe the Bills defense, but I think the Bills defense has a serious problem that goes beyond this week. You know, if they post up a shutout against the Jets, I don't think it holds any weight. I really don't. You know, if they give up 40 points, then it's significant. But to me, when you when you sit there and say, look, the you know, this game for me, with all the the tougher schedule coming down the rest of the way. Sam Darnold needs to show out and prove himself because right now there's question marks whether or not he should be the, the starting quarterback moving forward in terms of next season. Yeah, and you're completely right when it comes to the Bills' defense. I mean, a shutout this week isn't going to improve anyone's confidence when you look at the defense because then you have to go against the Patriots and the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Those are the games where you have to prove yourself as a defense. But this is a nice – I mean, looking at the way the Bills have played the past two weeks, the Jets should be the perfect remedy for them to figure things out. I mean, offensively – uh, one thing that, that was kind of interesting, and, and Josh Allen was talking about it, and Stephon Diggs was talking about throughout the week, is the adjustments that teams have made to them. They've kind of, you know, what they've been doing is sitting back in zone. They're not letting Josh Allen beat them deep. They're making him go underneath where he's been very inaccurate. So that's kind of been the issue is as defenses have adjusted to the, the new quote-unquote Josh Allen uh, this year, he's not being able to air out the ball as much. So he's going to have to make these checkdown throws, and he's missing easy checkdown throws. So that's the aspect of the game where I think it kind of boils down to because if the Jets are going to sit back and, and play cover, coverage, he's going to have to make these, thro- these throws. And he actually did make these throws in week one against the Jets. He looked very accurate. He looked very poised. But he also had the fumble issues in the red zone where he wasn't, you know, the poised, the, the collected Josh Allen. He kind of went wild, Josh Allen. There's two Josh Allens that show up every week. You just have to hope you get more of the good than the bad uh, moving forward. There's mustache Josh Allen, and then there's non-mustache Josh Allen. And I wonder which is the good one in, in this scenario. But if we kind of look at the the point you were making, Luke, about the new Josh Allen, is there even a new Josh Allen? Or was it a Josh Allen that the coaching staff said, we're going to let you do whatever you want? Because we had never really seen him throw the deep ball as much as we have this year compared to the last couple of seasons. And we saw his inaccuracy occur a lot the first few years because he couldn't, miss the, he couldn't throw inside those short passes. And to me, what's so crazy is he can't make those passes. You know, But if it's a 5-10 yard throw, you should be able to make it nine out of ten times if there's a decent enough window and for him not to that to me that raises a lot of concerns if he's saying look i can't throw underneath that should be your bread and butter that shouldn't be too difficult for you to throw if you're an nfl quarterback and that's what seriously concerns me at this point for josh allen is yes he can recognize the, the struggle and that's a good thing but for the struggle to be as simple as i can't throw the ball seven yards i mean that that to me is a concern yeah, I think the the really the thing about about Allen is he gets wild at times. I mean, he thinks he has to do too much when, you know, he'll scramble, he'll make a crazy play. It's kind of like you said, you can't tell which is the good and the bad, bad Josh Allen because he always plays at 110%. He always plays at full speed. But there's sometimes where he is unable to slow the game down, unable to find the easy read. He makes things more difficult than they need to be. And that's really the what I think is the issue because – with the weapons this year, you know, you add Stephon Diggs, you have John Brown and Beasley coming off of good years last year. You know they have the personnel to be able to make those deep throws, to be able to try to put the ball in the Josh Allen's hands. And it, sometimes it kind of leads to trouble, as we've seen the past two weeks, where he's inaccurate, where he's throwing bad interceptions, where he's trying to do too much when his team is down. And that's not all on Josh Allen. I mean, that's a culmination of the Bills as a whole because their defense hasn't been good and they haven't been able to run the ball. So really their only avenue of offense right now is Josh Allen and throwing the ball. And that can't be the case. I mean, you cannot be a one-dimensional pass-only team at this point in the season. You have to be able to run the ball a little bit. 
And I don't, you know, the first few weeks it was okay because Josh Allen was so good. You can throw the ball 40 times a game. You can win games. You can be successful. But there has to be a point where the defense has to guess, you know, are they running, are they passing? They can't just sit there and be like, okay, they're passing, they're passing, they're passing. You have to establish a second dimension when it comes to running the football. And I don't know if they have the, the personnel to do that because Devin Singletary hasn't been great this year. Zach Moss, I mean, he's a rookie, hasn't got a ton of touches. Like, we haven't seen the ability to have a lead back in Buffalo, which I think is a big problem. And it is. And when you look at the run game, that's why trying to go out there and get Lev Bell was so disappointing. I'm kind of shocked he didn't go with a team in the in, in the Bills because he was going to get 20 carries every single game. And, you know, you can look at the scrap people of running backs that don't have a job, but I wonder if they should have went after Devonta Freeman this offseason. I mean, he looks very solid with the Giants, and yes, that's sort of bred out of necessity, but there's such a better offensive line in Buffalo. I wonder if rolling with, a, you know, a second-year guy in Singletary who looked good but also was kind of taking the, the backseat a little, Frank, more so than, more so than maybe we remember or expect. And then you've also got what uh, Moss, who's a, who's a rookie, TJ Eldon's never been a lead back. There, you almost want that one guy that's been a lead running back before just to kind of carry the load and work for the the, the system or the team itself, you know, or that, that unit, I should say. You want that lead guy that can kind of teach and train and show when you're 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 your veteran back is TJ Yeldon, who has not been very good in his career. Yeah, and Yeldon's like, I mean, he's the third stringer. He's he doesn't get a ton of touches, but honestly, when he's been in the game, the the run game has looked better because you know, he's kind of that nose down, get a few yards that Frank Gore kind of is. He's not going to make an explosive play, but he'll get you a few yards. Devin Singletary is the perfect complementary back, but he's not really a guy that's going to get 25 carries a game. You know, he's a guy that's going to get carries. He's going to be used out of the backfield catching passes, but he shouldn't, you know, he's not really the lead back type. And the Bills should recognize that. I mean, when they drafted Moss, they thought, okay, Moss is going to be the guy that runs, you know, into the pile, gets us a few yards. Singletary is going to bust one every once in a while. Uh, we're going to use him out of the pass game, but there had to have been that thought where you need someone else in that mix that is going to be the veteran presence, be the guy that's been a lead back before, as you mentioned, a, a Devontae Freeman type or a Lev Bell type or someone like that. And they just don't have that right now. So, I mean, going against this Jets defense this weekend, which, I mean, they haven't really been good at all. They've been their 20th against the rush or 23rd against the pass. I mean, if you can't establish that in this game, then I, I just don't know what happens. Is there Was there a better option than looking at this offseason and saying – we should have went after X running back or Y running back because, you know, you, you almost want to have a, a lead back option. And it, it feels like, at least to me, that running back by committee, it, just, it doesn't work very well, you know. And maybe you start and, and establish the run game by using Josh Allen more, and he runs the ball a lot, but rather than just letting him scramble, you create maybe some RPO type things or maybe some sort of option reads for, for Josh Allen, who's a smart guy at that, where, you know, maybe you're taking the load off of guys like TJ Yeldon or Devin Singletary and – putting it a bit more on Josh Allen's hands because rather than just having him scramble, you can create established and sort of set run plays for him, which they've obviously done in the past, but maybe trying to bring that more to the forefront. I get, I see the, the RPOs usually work pretty well, with Josh Allen, but he also has a tendency to want to do way too much. Like you almost have to hold your breath every time because he's not going to just slide. He's going to try to truck someone for an extra five yards. Like he does that every once in a while where it's like, if you're a Bills fan, you just hold your breath. And also, when he runs the read option, he always holds on to the ball. He never hands it off to the running back. He's always holding the ball. So I, I get worried about the about the, the the options and letting quarterbacks do designed runs because, 
I mean, if Allen gets hurt, I mean, it's over for the Bills. I mean, you have Matt Barkley. It, it, it's over if Josh Allen gets hurt. And he's a big guy. He can take a hit. But I just – I get worried every time he runs an RPO. And that's a valid point. But you also kind of think that this is his third year now. It's really important for him to go out there and show that he's a smart quarter, uh, a smart, you know, quarterback in the NFL. At what point do you give him that trust? I mean, his legs are one of his biggest assets. And if you're not using it, I kind of wonder – what the deal and we're having some quick technical difficulties as matt has left the meeting but yeah i mean the thing about Allen is he has to you know he can use his legs he just can't be chaotic about it i think that's the, the biggest thing for the bills is when josh allen uses his legs uh that's fine but he can't use them to the point where he's becoming reckless because his recklessness has been kind of uh the thing that's kind of cost him as uh matt is joined uh once again by us and matt one thing i want to i want to mention before we go to break bills are 13 point favorites that is that's a big line i mean the jets i feel like they could keep it within two touchdowns yeah that was and first of all i'd like to apologize for the what just happened i, I don't know what to say um i to be honest i just clicked x by accident <laughs> out of the the web page on the google meet and i was making a great point too about how josh allen needs to figure it you know it's his third year. You can't. You gotta take the training wheels off. Look, some people can't ride a bike, and that's respectable. But if you're in the NFL, it's time to take the training wheels off. Yeah, it's true. Some people I know can't ride a bike. So I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, you could call it respectable. I don't know if I would call it respectable though. Yeah, sure. Left the kid that never learned how to ride a bike. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. Football Thursday continues. We've got a beautiful Thursday night game tonight between the uh, New York football giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. And one thing I want to uh, bring up before we talk about the matchup, and you brought it up in our, our pre-show meeting, there's a 28% chance that the winner of the NFC East will have six or fewer wins. That's according to uh, ESPN's FPI. And, I mean, this technically is a battle for first place between the Giants and the Eagles. The Giants uh, obviously coming off of their first win against Washington. Eagles coming off of a close loss to the Ravens. But, I mean, it's just embarrassing what the NFC East has done this year. It's been borderline disgraceful, to be completely honest. It is such a joke that it is like this. Uh, you know, we talked about Mike Greenberg's thoughts on our TV show, Stick to Sports, on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock on TOP. And, you know, we argued, should they should there be a limit or a, or a win number that you have to reach to be a division winner? Does that have to be seven wins? And if you hit six or low, then your spot is taken away and it's given to a wild card team. And, and that's a valid point because this division is so bad and – now, keep in mind, they haven't really played too many in-division games. I think it's just been one for each team. And when you when you have those in-division games, you could see a team run away with it. You, know, you could see a team like the Eagles, if they win tonight and they win the next two against division opponents, they're right there. You know, they're pretty much back at 500 in, in that regard. And obviously things can, can change. And I think, to me at least, the Eagles are the, the odds-on favorite for me. I think that they start off the year extremely injured and they're just getting healthier and healthier now. But this is an ugly division, man. And if I'm that wild card team, I want to play this division so badly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, looking at the the standings, the Cowboys are in first right now, two and four. 
the Eagles are one, four and one. And then the Giants and Washington are both one and five. And I mean, it's insane because if the playoffs start today, Dallas is the four seed, which is absolutely ridiculous. And they would line up with, uh, I believe the, the Packers in round one. So, I mean, like if I'm the Packers, I'm chomping at the bit to, to play the Cowboys in, in round one or, or whoever it is to play them in round one, because whether it be the Cowboys or the Eagles, I mean, the Cowboys are going to be without Dak Prescott. The Eagles, I mean, who knows, with, with Carson Wentz, who's kind of been uh, a little bit injury-prone in his career as well. Not to say that's only his fault. I mean, he's taking some tough hits and things like that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this division is not good. And, I mean, even looking at last week for the Giants, they, they beat Washington by one, uh, a game that Riverboat Ron tried to go for two instead of going for overtime. The Giants get that stop, which is all well and good, but at the end of the day, that that offense only scored 13 points. They the defense scored seven. The, the offense scored 13. And I mean, you just expect Daniel Jones to have a better game against a team like Washington, and he really didn't. And this Eagles defense is kind of they've they're sneaky good. I mean, they're not the best in terms of uh, numbers, but they've put up some good performances against tougher teams. And I mean, Daniel Jones has to be better than he was last week against Washington. And honestly, he, I don't want to say he was bad last week against Washington because you get the win, but you scored 13 points against the Washington football team, a team without an actual name, which I like, by the way. I like Washington football team, but, I mean, he only he only threw the ball 19 times. He completed 12 of his passes. It just, I, I don't know. Like, to me, this would have been a great game to just have Daniel Jones throw the ball a bunch. Like, why not go for it? And I just look at... If you look at kind of the, the, the game cast, sort of speak of it, I mean, the Giants had the ball 26 minutes compared to 33 and a half for Washington. Like, that's not a good breakdown. I feel like a lot of it is the, that scoop and score and, and the, the Washington football team's ineptitude. Like, that's really what it came down to. That wasn't a game you were meant to win. The way that that game ended, you should have lost that game. And to go up against the Eagles that are half a game better than you, they just feel light years ahead of you in terms of the talent they have on their roster. Yeah, and one thing the Giants tried to do last week was, I mean, they tried to to establish the run game. They gave Devontae Freeman uh, sixteen or 18 carries. He only got 61 yards, which, I mean, it's fine, but the offensive line, we've, we've seen it with Saquon Barkley early on in the year, and we've seen it these last few weeks. I mean, they're not good enough to run block, and – you get Andrew Thomas back. He hasn't been great this year, but Joe Judge says he will start. Uh, says that that incident isn't really indicative of Thomas's character. He says, you know, it won't happen again, things like that. So you get Andrew Thomas back, but he's been kind of a disappointment this year. And, I mean, you look across town to, to the Jets, and Mekhi Becton's been fantastic for them. So for the Giants, I mean, we kind of talked about – I mean, I said even – I even came around to saying, okay, I'm okay with them drafting an offensive lineman, but – he hasn't really panned out so far for them. So he's a guy that if the run game is going to work, he has to be better. Uh, and you have to get more out of this offensive line. I just don't know how much you can get out of them at this point. I mean, they are what they are. They're a bad offensive line. Daniel Jones is running for his life. They can't run the ball. And, I mean, that's going to be a problem this year on multiple levels. It is. And I think the the toughest part of it is looking at this team and, and asking where you improve. And personally, I think you see Yannick Ngakwe go to the – Ravens for a third round pick and a fifth round pick in 2022. And I sit here and I say, I think a New York team should have made that move. I think all three of them had a case to make a move yeah. like that. You're trading peanuts on the dollar pretty much for, for a all-star pro bowl type 
defensive tackler, a guy that's going to set your edge and, and really do a good job on the pass rush. All these teams, for the most part, maybe aside from the Bills, have a decent amount of cap space. And this is a Giants team that's a game back from, from a playoff spot. and Or two games back, game and a half, whatever you want to call it. If you're the Giants, you should make a move. You should have made a move for it because you're getting an all-star, a great player at a low price. And you're, you're right there. You want to kind of show this team you have trust. You want to have them play meaningful games down the stretch. This is one way to do it. And by no means, by no means would Ngakwe help this team long-term or get them to a Super Bowl in the next three years. You know, maybe you could in that third year, but to have this team play meaningful football and have a legitimate top five defense and then get in the future, that's a move that I think you should be willing to make. Yeah, I mean, you look at this defense. I mean, they're playing out of their minds so far this year. They're playing way – I mean, I thought they were going to be the, a bottom three defense in, in the NFL, and they they really showed up. They rallied. They've kind of used that uh, mantra kind of to their advantage. I mean, James Bradbury has been the best or the second-best corner in the NFL this year. I think Logan Ryan's done a good job. I mean, Blake Martinez is always a nice voice to have in that linebacker group, and he's such a sure tackler as well. And even the defensive line has done a better job. I mean, Dexter Lawrence is having a good year. Uh, Leonard Williams has been decent. Like, you have a decent defense, so why not add another piece to it? You know? And you almost want to re- reward them for it. You want to say, look, you guys are doing so well. We want to give you a little treat. And, and yeah, you're kind of having one guy lose his job who might be doing a, a solid job. But you look and you say, this is a position of need for us. Let's go out there and say, look, we trust, we believe in this defense. We're going to stock it up. And for the Jets, I would say you'd want to make that move if your culture was better. You know, I don't trust uh, Adam Gase in the scenario. You know, you have plenty of picks. You could have made the move and just had a really good player. I mean, he's a guy that would probably set your culture. You, you have a ton of – you have the most cap space out of any team in the NFL next year. Why not make that move? But then I sit here and say, he's going to be miserable in a Jets jersey. And he's playing for the Vikings. Like, that that's how bad it would be. So for him to go to, to – for him to go to the Ravens is a great – play for Ngakwe but for the for the, the the local teams and I think the Bills should have been right there with them because this is another guy that could really solidify your off your defense you know maybe it's not necessarily addressing a direct need in the pass rush but when you have less time to throw the ball or you and you give a team less time to throw the ball your cornerbacks are in a much better spot you know it helps the whole defense yeah and also I mean the Bills do need help on that defensive line, and they have not been able to pass rush at all so far this year. So I think that definitely could have been a play that they would have been in on. But going back to this Giants-Eagles game, I mean, the defense for the Giants, they're not going to shut down every single game. I mean, we saw it against Dallas, and when they struggled against Dallas, the Giants' offense was able to keep pace. But I feel like last week the Giants' offense got too comfortable with the defense. They got too reliant on it. They didn't score. I mean, Daniel Jones threw a pick in the end zone, which just can't happen. So, I mean, when I look at this game, I think the Eagles are going to score. I mean, they might not score 30 points, but, I mean, I think Carson Wentz has been good enough, and I think they have enough weapons. I mean, Travis Fulgham has been one of the best stories in the NFL this year, Uh, undrafted guy uh, that the Eagles pick up this year. They haven't – they get to Sean Jackson back as well tonight. He always puts some pressure on the defense, but they are without Miles Sanders. I need a good game out of Daniel Jones tonight if I'm a Giants fan. I mean, he has to be good this game. He has to be – I mean, look, the lights are on. It's Thursday Night Football. Uh, it's a national television game. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Show me as much as you possibly can with that offensive line. Uh, you have enough weapons on offense. I think we need a good game out of Daniel Jones tonight. He just looks so bad. 
And and it, it's so it's not as simple as that because you have the offensive line, you have the lack of weapons, but just so rough. I mean, six interceptions for him is just uh it, it's a one to two touchdown interception ratio. He's he's on pace to score maybe seven touchdowns this season. I mean, and again, you can't put all the blame on him, but it's just it's really hard to watch. He's throwing for under two hundred yards on average per game. They're just the laundry list goes on and on. It's it's a tough season to watch Daniel Jones play football. And maybe part of it is being without Saquon Barkley, but he was out of him for a lot last year. Maybe part of it's losing Nate Solder, who isn't worth the contract he was given, but he was okay. He was good enough last year for, for you know, better than what they have now. There's just so many pieces in this offense that's missing, but it still falls down on Daniel Jones being a top 10 pick in the, in the NFL, being a guy that looked very good last year, and now he's regressed tremendously. I mean, going into this season, or, and I guess even a couple of weeks into the season, before we realized how much of a dumpster fire the, the Giants offense truly is, we were sitting here saying, you know, we like the Giants situation more than the Jets. A lot more than the Jets. And by no means has that changed, but I still feel more confident in Sam Darnold, even with a guy like Adam Gage ruining him for three years, than, than I sit here and say Daniel Jones is the option or the answer. Yeah, I think that if Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones traded places, I think that the Jets would probably still be 0-6, and the Giants would maybe have two or two or three wins as opposed to one. I do think that Sam Darnold is a bigger difference maker than Daniel Jones so far. And obviously a lot can change, but I mean, if you throw Sam Darnold with this receiving core, I think you maybe get better results than we've seen with Daniel Jones. Because I like the pieces that the Giants have. I like Darius Slayton. I like Sterling Shepard if he can ever stay healthy. I like Evan Ingram. Golden Tate is always a nice veteran wide receiver to have. And losing Saquon Barkley obviously hurts, but... The run game wasn't there anyways. I mean, if Saquon was here, it probably wouldn't be that much different. We saw in the first few weeks they weren't able to get him going at all. So, I mean, this is a proven game for Daniel Jones. It's a division game. The history of this matchup is just insane recently. I mean, the, the Eagles have beaten the Giants every single time since Tom Coughlin left, which is absolutely insane. They've won seven straight games against the Giants. And you cannot have a division rival beat you seven straight times. I mean, this isn't the Patriots and the Dolphins. I mean... The Giants, they, they've been bad these past few years, but, like, the Eagles, besides the Super Bowl, haven't been great. Like, you can't lose seven straight games to the Eagles if you're the Giants. You can't, but also, what's going to stop you? And, and the thing that's so crazy, I was reading an article from Gordon Ron on ESPN, and he said these new guys, they don't hate the Eagles like the old like the old guard did, like Michael Strahan and those pieces. And obviously a big part of that is because the guys now don't win. You know, when you don't have wins, it's harder to really truly hate a team or have a rivalry. But to me with football, like the Eagles Giants is, is not a historic rivalry, but it's one of those new age rivalries that's been really fun to watch. And, you know, talking to to Pat O'Chang, who's part of the, the shooting the breeze podcast and, and things like that here on NYO, you know, he hates Philadelphia and the Eagles more than I think he hates the Cowboys. And I could be wrong. And he might text me if he hears us if, he, if he's up right now, but I mean, Giants fans do not like the Eagles and to kind of be, kicked down so so much recently is really hard to watch and, and that's why i think when you bring up they need to win tonight it is important but i, I just don't see it happening i actually i think the giants have a good chance of winning this game i i mean i don't know if the eagles have enough offensively i mean they get to sean jackson back but i think losing miles sanders is big and obviously i mean we could look at this game on monday and and see the giants lose by 20 but I'm feeling a little bit of optimism for the Giants tonight. But, I mean, a lot of that comes down to Daniel Jones. And I I said it two weeks ago that I don't trust him, and I still don't trust him. So I don't know why I'm saying all of a sudden tonight he could show something. I just 
I don't know, something about a Thursday night game, the Eagles and Giants, like it could be a fun game, it could be exciting, or it could be an absolute snooze fest. I just think the Giants need to at least show up in this game. Like they can't get blown out. They have to stay in this game. Uh, especially after last week. I mean, they get their first win. It was ugly, but it was a win. But I mean the offense has to be better this game because you can't just sit back and rely on your defense to make, you know, ten stops every single week. I mean, we have to see something from Daniel Jones or, or maybe it's Devontae Freeman that has a big game, but I just doubt it behind that offensive line. And, I mean, not all of this falls on Daniel Jones. I think Jason Garrett has not really done a great job as the offensive coordinator. He hasn't adapted. I mean, they don't have an offensive line. You can't expect Daniel Jones to sit back and have eight seconds to progress through his reads. It's just not going to happen. They don't have that kind of time. I think part of the issue with, with this game tonight is I could see the Eagles making the playoffs in this division. I can't, oh, see, yeah. I can't see the Giants doing it. So, for, for me, I sit here and say – not who needs this game more, but who, when we look down in the future, is going to have that extra win in their pocket to, to make the playoffs. And I do think that this is the the game. I think that this is the game that the Eagles have and win. And it and it start, maybe it doesn't start a streak because they're still a very bad football team. But maybe this is a game that starts off the, 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 the hot streaker or something that just puts them into the playoffs. Because I, I can't see them doing anything else you know right now the eagles have the giants and cowboys and giants again if you go three and oh in those games you're you're back to 400 you're 500 at four four and one you pretty much put a stranglehold on the division and you just roll from there and i feel like that's the kind of vibe i get from the season where teams are going to have to use their games against each other to win and just not it it's dumb to say put themselves ahead of the other teams in the division because that's what happens but when i look at this division I think it's the Eagles division. To, I think the Eagles win it, and I think it starts with this game. It's kind of my my ending kind of thought on it. No, yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, someone has to go on a streak at some point is how I see it. I mean, it can't – I mean, it can't be a six and – I guess the Eagles would be six, nine, and one with that tie. But, like, you can't have that. In, like, it would be so gross to see the first week of playoffs. But yet, I could definitely see it happening. I mean, I don't see the Cowboys being great. Their defense – the Cowboys defense is so bad, and without Dak, they're not going to be able to outscore it. And, I mean, the Giants in Washington aren't quite there yet. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a big game for for the Eagles to to try to win. And last point, Matt, last point. No, I saw you you gearing up. I was going to say, let's take a look at the remaining schedule for the Eagles. And I feel like a lot of it's contingent on them going 3-0 against the Giants, Cowboys, Giants in these next three weeks. So, if they're at 4-4-1, can they beat the Browns? Yes. Yeah, but I, I honestly think that's a loss. I think it's a loss because of you're winning three straight. I think you need a loss at some point, and I think that's kind of it. You're not beating Seattle. You're not beating Green Bay. Can you beat the Saints? You know, maybe just because Drew Brees might. It depends. Drew Brees might fall off, and this might be the last year for him. And I think if it is, then you can. If not, you can't. So that might be another four. Lo- um, what is that? That'd be another four losses. So you're back to four, eight, and one. Oh boy, this is ugly. The Cardinals. Late in the season, if the Cardinals fall off, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And then you beat. And then you have the Cowboys and Washington, which you need to beat again. So this could be a team that legitimately only beats its its division at six, nine, and one, and the 49ers. That might be it. Yeah, I mean it's that it's that bad right now for for the NFC East, and we'll see. I'm excited to, to just watch the chaos of this game. So, you know, we'll right. kind of see how that turns out. It's going to be chaos. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show as we 
continue our football Thursday. We'll get into our NFL picks. We've also got some baseball to talk in the last segment. But as we jump in, I'll, we'll take a quick recap. So I am 20 and 10 on the year. As Matt mentioned, though, only two and three last week. Matt is 15 and 15, two and three last week. Matt, the whole narrative with you this year has been your ability to stay over 500. But now you're at 500. So this is a big week for you. Look, it, it's it's tough. Um, I struggled last week. I thought I had a three and two week. I was really excited. I thought I had a great week, and then I've got who? But someone just complete. Oh, it was the Ravens. Completely yeah. just pooping themselves in the last like yeah. thirty seconds of the game. Just a real bad beat, to be honest. Um, there's not much we can do from it. But we were talking during the sh- before the show, Luke, and there's some nice lines this week. So maybe I can't make ground on you, but you know I can probably win a couple here and just get above 500, which personally I don't care about. If, if I'm being honest, I would I would love to see myself be like three games under 500 and still manage to beat you. I think that'd be great. I would have to have an all-time collapse, which is definitely possible. Which, which is definitely possible. No, knowing your, All I uh, need is a couple of five strategies. Yeah. But we're, we'll, I'm going to start it off this week because I, I have a zesty I have a zesty first pick for you, Matt. Let's you're see gonna, it. You're going to love it. I'm going with the Giants. Plus four and a half tonight against the Eagles. They keep that game within the field goal. It's going to be gross. Like I said before, I have a weird, I have a weird amount of confidence in the Giants tonight. I like them plus four and a half against the Eagles. Right, well, I'll take your uh, your AFC or your NFC East game, and I'll, I'll match you with this one. Dallas minus one in Washington against the Washington Football Team. I I just can't see Washington winning this football game with Kyle Allen at the helm. They're very bad. Yeah, I I like that pick, and I mean I can't I can't hate it. So I'm gonna move to uh, a Sunday game as well, a one o'clock kick, which is in my opinion the best game of the week. Steelers Titans. I like the Steelers plus one. I mean it's essentially become a pick 'em. I like the Titans, but they were really shaky last week against the Texans. I feel like you know when I look at this game, I like the Steelers defense a little bit better. Uh, you know the Titans defense is solid, but the Steelers defense has been playing extremely well. Big Ben hasn't even had to air it out yet really at all because they've had the run game. They've had the defense. They've had enough weapons on offense. I really like the Steelers uh, plus one to beat the Titans. Now, you want a really good pick here, Luke. This this is a lock of the century. I'll call oh, wow. right now. Green Bay, minus three and a half against the one in five ten, uh, Tennessee Texans. Houston Texans. <laughs> I mean, just I, I think I would take this if I was at minus five. I'm that confident in this pick. All right. I like the confidence, but... I mean, Green Bay did look really bad last week. You gotta, yeah, you but who did they play last count. week in actual football team? They're playing the Houston Texans. The all Houston right. Texans at this point are pretty much just J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. That's all they are. Yeah. You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. So, you take the pack. Yeah, three and a half seems very very light for that uh, for that game. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a, an underdog in my next pick. I'm gonna take the Panthers plus seven and a half against New Orleans. I think New Orleans wins this game, but Man, the they just don't look that good offensively. They barely escape the Chargers in overtime. I think it's gonna be one of those games where maybe the Panthers jump out to a lead, but they play they play teams close. I mean, they played Chicago close last week. I think they'll keep it within striking distance against the the Saints on Sunday. Uh, the one I'm looking at right now is possibly Kansas City against Denver minus nine and a half. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I'll go Kansas City minus nine and a half against uh, Denver. Right now, they they've won most games by two games by fourteen, a game by sixteen, a game by nine. You know, you 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 just narrowly beat the Chargers in OT twenty three twenty. But this is a team that I'm confident in 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 the Kansas City Chiefs. So give me them minus nine and a half, despite on the road, or despite and I went, I should say, 
I went with the uh, the Thursday night game. I'm also going to sprinkle a little Monday night game. The Bears and the Rams. I like the Bears plus six. I don't love that I'm taking all these underdogs, but six seems really – I mean, I'm not all the way in on the Bears. I don't think anyone is. But, I mean, they've looked pretty good these past two weeks under Nick Foles. And, I I mean, the Rams just, like, lost against the 49ers on Sunday night football last week. And I still think they're a good team. I still think that they'll be in the playoffs. But I like the Bears here to, to cover that spread. And maybe – Maybe if you're feeling a little zesty, put a little bit on that money line as well. Ooh, ooh, the money line. See, I gotta I, say though, I'm sick of the Rams. I mean, I thought they would that cover against the 49ers last week would be easy, and they got absolutely blown out. Like I, I need to stay away from them. But I, I guess I'll just go as you go back and week. you pick a game with them there. Yeah, it, it it's like the Falcons. I, this could be the first week none of us picks the Falcons. Uh, I mean, they're, uh, uh, I'm staying away from that game. I can't do it. See, yeah, oh, the line for Buffalo and the Jets has moved to minus 12 and a half in the last hour, so that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think... Are you looking Sam at the Darnold, ESPN um, yeah. numbers, or are you looking at something else? I'm looking at ESPN. I think as Sam Donald progresses throughout the week, the line will change. I think maybe like it'll be like 9 or so at kickoff. Like 13 felt really big, and I think if Donald starts, I mean, I would definitely take the Jets if, if Donald starts to cover at least. But, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. You know it's a real juicy pick that I can't believe I haven't taken yet? But, Cleveland minus three against Cincinnati, against Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, Oh, yeah, I love that. Come on, man. Don't give me that. Don't give me that nonsense. The Bengals, really? Get out of here. I love that Easy pick. Money. I love that pick. Uh, my last pick, I'm, I'm actually riding with you here. I like Dallas minus one as well. Uh, I mean, they have, they have to be Washington. Right? Like, Zeke can't fumble twice. Establish the run game. The defense just needs to. I mean, I don't know if I trust the Dallas defense, but against Kyle Allen, like, come on, I'll take, I'll take Dallas uh, minus one to round up my picks. Where is Miami playing this week? No, they're on a bye. No, they're on a bye. Oh, I kind of want the Chargers minus eight, but the chart the Chargers are one and four, but like we're talking like they're a good team. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's really just Justin Herbert. Do we really think that the Chargers are gonna lose to the Jaguars? Like, is that really gonna happen? I mean, the Chargers have played some really good teams. I mean, the Chiefs, you lose close. The Panthers, you lose by five. The Bucks, you lose by a touchdown. The Saints, you lose by seven. Or three, rather. I mean, those are close games. And they cover. The Chargers love to cover. Oh, but they, they have to win by over a touchdown. They have to win by eight. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, the Jags looked really bad last week against the Lions. So, I don't know. Let, I, let I me look like at the Chargers. Jaguars for a second here. Let's see. I mean, they beat the Colts, but they've kind of fallen off since. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the the lovely LA Chargers minus eight. Wow. I'm not really confident about the pick. I'm not really confident about any of these games. I mean, the games I picked, I'm pretty confident about. I was looking at the Tampa Bay minus three and a half against the Raiders. I couldn't decide. Uh, the New England minus two against the the 49ers. That's really interesting. I couldn't pick either side of that. Yeah, that's gonna be. I mean, I don't know either. I mean. There are I, I like the lines this week. So I'll recap quickly. I took the Giants plus four and a half, Pittsburgh plus one, Carolina plus seven and a half, Dallas minus one, Chicago plus six, and then that Kansas City minus nine and a half, Dallas minus one, Green Bay minus three and a half, Cleveland minus three, Chargers minus eight. Quickly before we go to break, Matt, which of these five is your lock? You're going Packers? I said Green Bay. Okay. I said lock I literally the- said Green Bay is the lock of the week. I'll this take whatever I, I said. I think the Steelers are the lock of the week. I mean, no, see, I, I can't touch that game with a 10 foot ball. I have no clue how to assess either team. 
You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Football Thursday, we turn our attention to baseball, where some Twitter beef yesterday, Marcus Stroman uh, taking shots at the Yankees. It all started when Barstool's Jared Carabas, the, the Red Sox guy, the, the quote-unquote uh, unbiased national reporter, uh, tweeted about Brian Cashman saying that uh, Marcus Stroman is not a difference maker and that Stroman's never going to forget that. And Marcus Stroman replied that besides Garrett Cole, there's no current Yankees pitcher who will be anywhere in my league over the next five to seven years. Their pitching always folds in the end. That lineup and payroll should be winning World Series left and right, yet they're in a drought. LOL. He eventually goes back and says, oh, Luis Severino's in that category as well. Uh, but what were, what were your thoughts on, on Marcus Stroman kind of taking a shot at the Yankees? My first thought was the five to seven year timeline is, is so weird to me because at that point, Tanaka's 38 in seven years. Same with Paxton. Those guys are also not technically on the roster. I mean, they're free agents. So technically they're, they're own, they're on the Yankees, but you know, two months, they might not be. So I, can we also just say like, that would make sense because Stroman's a number three pitcher. Yeah. Like he slots exactly where he, where he would want to be on the Yankees like that that's where he belongs as the three he's like oh like that's me saying oh yeah like the like oh, this is a terrible example I don't know because I don't play any sports I'm not very good at them that would be like me saying you know besides you know besides like Michael K Don LaGreca and listing the entire staff on ESPN New York you know they don't have anyone else but that's like me like no like they they have people that are way better than you a couple of them and then they have guys that are worse because you're not that bad like I, it, it felt like go for it. He's an outspoken guy. I I don't know. It just why would you why would you effectively take yourself out of the running for a team? You know, you, there's only 30 teams in the MLB. You want to see as much demand for you as possible, and now you just took down to 29 pretty much because who's to say the Yankees are going to want to sign you after this? I think this was like the most like duh like statement ever from Marcus Stroman. It's like yeah, he is better than the rest of the Yankees starting pitchers right now. I mean, I get, I mean, it'd be close between him and Garcia, to be honest. I mean, we obviously haven't seen Garcia get a full season yet, but I mean, they're very comparable. Smaller guys, the build isn't built to last for very long, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, it's, I mean, I'm fine with what he said. It's not, it's not wrong. But again, why would you, you know, kind of out yourself as now you can't land with the Yankees or most likely, but he kind of says, I don't hold grudges ever. I'm open to compete wherever next year. Excited to see how free agency pans out. It's like, then why would you say this in the first place? If you're saying you're open to signing anywhere, you kind of just burned a bridge right there. And who knows if another team sees that and says, Oh, well, that's kind of a, an interesting statement from Stroman. I don't know if I want him, you know, on the team right now. I mean, he's not going to be, I don't think a highly touted free agent. I think he'll get some calls, obviously, he slots in nicely as a number three, but he's not the Marcus Stroman of the Blue Jays, the ace guy. He's not that anymore. So kind of just interesting to me that he would make these comments at all. Also, imagine making these comments after not playing for a full year. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you just came off a good season, I get it. But you haven't played in a full year, and you're going to make these comments. To me, it's ridiculous. Like, to me, it's such a joke. Like, kind of grow up. But also, like, the Yankees will not sign you now. And not because you made fun of Cashman. I don't think he cares. But because you made fun of the, the pitcher, like your, your teammates, the guys that you want to see do well. Like, your, 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 your people. You just tore down for, for no real reason. And such a backtrack to say I'm open to play wherever. Like, no, no, you're not. Like, you're not signing with the Yankees. And also, 
we, we can go to Cashman with this. Like, should he have said he's not a difference maker? This, of course, was going back to uh, the 2019, 2019 um, trade deadline where the Yankees didn't want to give up any assets for him because they thought that he was just going to go to their bullpen, which at that point is true. Like, should Cashman have said it? Maybe not, but it's a valid reason. Like, you look at the, the roster they had. They had Paxton doing well. They had Tanaka. They, I think they had Severino at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have some other pieces. Like, you you, you only need three or four starters in most playoffs, and he was not going to crack your top three or top four. No, he wasn't. I mean, like you said, he took this year off, which is – I mean, that's fine, whatever, if you want to take the year off. I mean, he kind of did it in, in, I think, kind of an unprofessional way. I mean, he said he was coming back, and then once he cleared kind of the, the point where he gets paid, he's like, oh, never mind, I'm not coming back because of covid but then weeks earlier he was posting pictures partying so there's kind of like that that was kind of what rubbed me the wrong way of stroman in the first place and i get it you know if he pitches that year and gets hurt his value goes way down uh than what it would be right now and i get that but i think to me it just it rubbed me the wrong way and i don't really care that he makes the comments about the Yankees, like whatever but at the end of the day like you're just adding fuel to a fire that hasn't been lit since 2019 as you mentioned with uh with brian cashman at the trade deadline like whatever like use that as fuel to fuel yourself but to me it came off in kind of the wrong light and it really an unnecessary way like whatever you want to talk about the Yankees fine but it just came off weird and we'll move on to the World Series here and the Rays take game two six to four they didn't get length out of Blake Snell surprise surprise he only goes four and two-thirds innings 88 pitches two earned runs four walks nine strikeouts Dodgers kind of not that they mailed it in, but they kind of had a bullpen day. Bueller wasn't rested. The rest of their arms weren't ready to go. So they end up losing six to four. The Rays led five, nothing. And the the Dodgers had a, a decent comeback, but I mean, obviously a big win for the Rays to be able to at least split one of the first two games and give the ball to, to big game Chuck, uh, Charlie Morton in game three. I hate that nickname. I, I don't know if you just made it up, but big game Chuck just bothers me. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, this was a game, and I really wonder if the – and <laughs> talking seriously now, I wonder if the, the raised over-reliance on the bullpen will ever come back to bite them. You know, we kind of saw it last year with the Yankees when you play the same guys over and over against a team like the Astros, you're bound to get burned at some point. And I wonder if the same thing's going to happen with the Dodgers because how do you keep throwing your, your starters for less than five innings? I mean, Morton, Snell – um glass now they're supposed to be your stars they're supposed to be giving you length and they haven't done that yet and it, that to me is just so interesting will the arms kind of fall off for their bullpen as for the dodgers i mean that, this is a tough loss because you were kind of you could have been in it most of your pitchers look good aside from dustin may and that, that to me is the most disappointing part is you kind of just piecemeal this this game together and you couldn't really you, you had a chance to win but at the end of the day you were losing five nothing for a while i think this game three on Friday is going to be big. You know, it's easier. It's kind of said, it's kind of obvious to say, but the Dodgers are in a really good spot. You've got Walker Buehler. You've got Urias as well. And I still think this is the Dodgers series to win. You know, I, I kind of meant to a uh, team of destiny them a couple of weeks ago or, or a week ago in the Atlanta series. I never got to it, but I'll say it now. I think they're going to win the world series. All right, here we go. With the, the late team of destiny. Talk this is, I won't way. count it. I won't count it, but I'm just saying I meant to do it. Or are you being a mush again? No, I'm not. Okay, I so didn't we see believe it. The Astros. No, I think they're they'll be good too. I mean, the good thing for the Rays is Brandon Lyle finally showed up. He went two for five with two home runs, and that was big. Randy Rosarina has been non-existent this series. I mean, you can't expect him to be 
an all-star for the entire postseason. It just wasn't going to happen. And for the Dodgers, I mean, they had their chances. They went 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. The Rays went 1 for 9. I mean, you have to be better in those situations. Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts combined 0 for 6. I like the Dodgers to win this series as well. Uh, I think they figure it out, and, and we'll keep an eye on that uh, going into next weekend because they'll have played three games between now and uh, Monday's show. So I'm excited to see how this weekend goes for that and for football. But that does it for this episode of the Watling and Owens show. We'll be here back again, same time, same place on Monday.